0: Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. When when Pastor Bernie pronounces the book, Nehemiah, I feel a lot of pressure to deliver. Uh, I'm a preacher and a teacher. And so anytime I get to share the Word of God and, and, and a message is on my heart, I get really excited. But this morning, I have to tell you that I'm, I'm less excited about the message and more excited about a moment I believe the Holy Spirit is leading us to at the end of the message. So with your permission, I'm going to share some of the things that the Lord has highlighted out of Nehemiah 8 to me with you, and then we're going to spend some time responding to what the Holy Spirit is saying. And and as I read through the book of Nehemiah, and and in particular, this chapter, there were a couple of moments where the the Holy Spirit just, you ever feel the Holy Spirit just kind of go, that's for you? Never. Okay, well, I'm interceding for you this morning. Because I had about three of those moments where the Holy Spirit just went, that's for you. And so I'm going to share some of my learnings with you and trust that the Holy Spirit is going to highlight in you what you need to hear and what he wants to produce in you this morning. Fair? Can we do that? Great. Uh, As Pastor Bernie shared last week, chapter 6, they finished building the wall. Chapter 7 is another one of those lists of names. And I'm not going to read them all to you today. We talked about the importance of names a few weeks ago. But as I was reading chapter 7 to get to chapter 8 and just saw this long list of exiles who've, who've come out of, of captivity and into the city, and, and I see how Nehemiah names each and every one of them. I, I, it just strikes me that every single one of these people have a place in the story. Each one of these people have a role to play, and each one of these people are known. They're called by name. And God didn't just know them when the job was done. God knew them in exile. God knew them when he called them. He knew them on the journey. He knew them during the building, and he knew them when it was time to celebrate. And as I read that story this morning, again, I felt so clearly the Lord simply wanted me to say to you, God knows your name. You are known to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords. You're not a a body in a seat. You're not a, a mark on the census. God, whether you feel like you are one in exile, whether you feel like you're one on a journey, whether you're about the current work of rebuilding something, or you are in a season and a posture of celebration, you are known by name. And God loves you. And God longs to be with you. And as you... As you listen, you will hear that name called out from heaven.
1: John, I see you. I know you. I love you. And someone this morning probably needs
0: to hear me say this. As God looks out, he calls your name and he says, I see you. And I know you. And I love you. Wherever you are, wherever you've been, wherever you think you're going, in your hopes, your dreams, even in your struggles, in your wanderings, and in your buildings, God sees you. You are not alone.
1: He is not far from you. He is close to you.
0: We'll come back to that in a minute. We need to talk about Nehemiah chapter 8. There's a list of names, Nehemiah 7, God knows your name. Then you get to the book of Nehemiah, and the people of Judah are finally living with a measure of safety. The walls have been built, the enemy can't come in, and now we see a pivot where they have been focused on a physical rebuilding. God begins to shift the hearts of the people to a spiritual rebuilding. You know, it's really hard to be concerned for your soul when your safety is at risk. I think it's so beautiful of the Lord that he begins by making sure his people are cared for physically, and then he begins the work of revival or an internal building. And, and when we when we love on people in our community here at LFC, we are following the same model that we see in Scripture. God built a city, and then he's building a people. We are about the work of building a city because we know that God wants to rebuild and restore People, whether it's, a, whether it's a block party or feeding people on Monday night or guys regathering, we're, we're dealing with felt need as a doorway to deal with spiritual need. Once people feel they are safe, we can, we can minister to their souls. And what we're about to see is when that happens, the spirit of God begins to move. So if you've been a part of any of the work of LFC through the last decades beyond our walls, can I say thank you? Because you have provided a platform now for us to reach people not only with the love of Jesus, but with the message of the cross. Not only are they loved, but they can also be forgiven and redeemed and restored. Okay, not in the notes. That was a freebie. Here we go. Nehemiah 8, verse 1. All the people assembled with a unified purpose. Say unified purpose. And a unified voice, well done. They assembled with a unified purpose at the square, just inside the water gate. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. Do you know why God gave Israel the law to obey? He was providing for them a roadmap of what it meant to live as the people of God. The law of God was never meant to be a burden, but an invitation to liberation. And when we live according to the laws of God, the the instruction of the word, you and I enter into a season of liberty as we live in alignment with God that we can't experience any other way. That's what it means when it says God gave them the book of the law to obey. Verse 2, so on October 8th, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men and women and all the children old enough to understand. He faced the square just inside of the watergate from early morning until noon, say five hours, five hours. He's at this and he read aloud to everyone who could understand somebody say, thank you, Jesus for 30 minute messages. There was a little too much emphasis on that. All the people listened closely to the book of the law, and then they, and they are the Levites, they read from the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people understand each passage. Ezra, you may remember, is a scribe, a teacher of the law who showed up 13 years before Nehemiah did, because before the city was rebuilt, the temple was rebuilt. And when the temple was rebuilt, somebody had to come and teach the people about temple worship. That's what he did. And so now, once again, the physical needs are being met. A spiritual hunger begins to rise up. The people actually ask him to come and teach them, which he does for about five or six straight hours. Now, when it says Nehemiah, excuse me, Ezra was reading from the book of the law, scholars say they're talking about the Pentateuch, which is the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And you have to remember that this is the story. This is what he's reading to them. The story of the creation. The story of the call of Abraham, the birth of the nation of Israel, their their enslavement in Egypt, and their deliverance, and then Exodus, which ends after the wilderness wanderings with God bringing them into the promised land, which is where they are presently standing as they're hearing the story read to them. Ezra is tying this moment into the overarching story of God and showing them their place in it. Telling them God is about a great and a glorious work and God knows your name. I want to point out just a couple of things from this passage. October 8th, in the civil calendar, this is the beginning of the new year. It's New Year's Day. Our God, don't you know, is a God of new beginnings. He says throughout scripture that he's even now in the process of making all things new. There's a, there's a beautiful plaque up in our conference room right behind that wall that says this very thing, that our God is a God who makes things new. Now, these guys don't know that they're, they're going to be finishing the work of construction and able to, to gather right on New Year's Day, but, but do you know who probably knew that? Not a trick question. God knew that. God knew that. God's timing, church, is always perfect, but it's not always predictable. Can I get an amen on that one? Just because you don't say amen doesn't mean it's not true. God's timing is always perfect. He knows what He's doing, but His timing is not always predictable. You may not know how you even came to be in this room this morning. Maybe somebody dragged you, bribed you with coffee, promised you breakfast. But what I could suggest to you is you are here this morning because God knows your name. His timing is perfect, even if it's not predictable. And it's he who drew you here today. If you're still waiting, you're like, God, not only is your timing not predictable, it's just a tad frustrating. Has anyone ever been there? Can I just remind you not to give up because scripture says those of us who wait on the Lord rather than try and push something through in our own strength, do you know what happens to those who wait on the Lord? It says they renew their own strength. It says they rise and they run. Waiting is posturing yourself before the Lord so when he says go, you're ready to go and you haven't wasted your energy doing something else. As the people stand and listen to scripture, it seems to be that they, they have a sense that there's an opportunity for a fresh start. They, they get this sense of impending newness. If you need a fresh start this morning, our God is a God of new beginnings. And if you would say to me this morning, John, I've started again before, and it didn't work out quite the way I wanted it to, and, and, and I feel a bit frustrated with myself, can I remind you again of the scripture that says, his mercies? are new every morning. Every time you wake up, God says, I have grace for you. Every time you roll out of bed in the morning, he says, I have mercy. Yesterday was a train wreck. We both know that. Maybe not in your life. Maybe I'm the only one who experiences stuff like that. But my mercy is here for you. And he goes on to say, and my faithfulness toward you is great. He's here if you're ready to start fresh. Verse 1 again, all the people assembled with unified purpose. I love that phrase, unified purpose. Here's why I love this phrase. There is something remarkable that happens when the people of God gather together in unity. Let me read to you Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is. That sounds nice. When God's people live together in unity. But then he explains, he he paints a picture of what good and pleasant means. He says, it's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe, as if the dew of Hermon was falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. When God's people, he says, are walking together in unity, he says, it's like oil and not just like any oil but like the oil that was poured out on Aaron's head. If you remember your Old Testament history, Aaron was the first high priest of Israel. And when oil was poured upon his head, it was dumped. And that oil was an anointing oil. It was something that was done to him and for him to empower him to do the work of the ministry that God had put before him. Anointing brought a Holy Spirit empowerment. So, You will read often, they anointed him with oil and the Spirit of God came upon him in power. It says it of Aaron, of of Samson, and Samson was able to defeat the Philistines, of David able to kill a lion, Saul, he's able to prophesy. There is something that happens when the people of God gather together with a singular purpose and a singular passion that actually invites an empowering presence of the Holy Spirit to do what we are not able to do in our own strength. That's what anointing means. It is an impartation of of the Spirit of God himself that enables his people to lead or to live in a way that would not otherwise be possible. Many of us know the story of Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit descended on the believers. Do you remember what that passage says? If you don't, you're in luck because I'm going to read it to you. On the day of Pentecost... All the believers were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability, an empowering presence of the Holy Spirit to do something that they could not otherwise do gave them this ability. And it begins with the phrase, all the believers were meeting together in one place, which could be the most anemic English translation of that Greek phrase possible. Because when it says they were meeting together in one place, it doesn't mean within the boundaries of four walls as we are today. The Greek means with one mind, one accord, with one passion. They were gathered together to hear from God and be sent as his emissaries. And it's into this kind of environment that the Holy Spirit comes to empower the people of God to live as representatives to his community. The spirit of unity does not simply mean let's all get along. It means can we posture ourselves toward one another and before the Lord in a way that facilitates a move of God's spirit to us, but it never stops there. It then goes through us. Are you tracking with me so far? Just give me a head nod. Okay. If you're not, I'll go back to the beginning and start over because Ezra had six hours. (laughs) Getting a whole lot of head nods all of a sudden. (laughs) What does this mean practically? It means that when you and I allow division or discord or offense, to take up root in our hearts in relation to someone else that the Bible would call a family member, it can actually compromise, not a relationship, but a move of the Spirit of God. This is why Paul says to us, as much as it depends on you, as much as you can, live at peace with all people. Not so you're happy which is nice, but because if you don't, it hinders a move of God's spirit. Any campers? I don't know if you can like light campfires in California. I'm still the newbie. I'm guessing it's frowned upon here. Um, but when we camp in the Northwest, especially in the wet season, which is January through December, um, <laughs> we, get to, we get to start fires. And I love to have a fire in my backyard. Did it almost every night. I could when it wasn't raining. And and I learned something about building a fire. Uh, If your sticks are scattered, the wood ain't going to burn. The same is true with how God moves in and through his people, because we're better together. And as we gather together in close proximity and unity, the spirit of God moves in a way that he doesn't when we're scattered. This is why scripture says, don't forsake the gathering of the believers, Be consistent in coming together. John, I can worship God in my house. Yes, you can. Absolutely. But the model of scripture would suggest to us that when I choose to only worship God at my house, I am keeping you from a move of the spirit. Paul isn't just saying, I need to be in community for me. He's saying, I need to be in community for you and you need to be in community for me. So thank you for being in community this morning it leads
1: to a move of the Spirit of God. Jesus said, a house that's divided isn't stable, but a house built on my teaching, unshakable. If God is a unifying
0: presence, it occurs to me that when I'm out of alignment with someone, it's incumbent on me to
1: address it, not God. When I'm out of alignment with someone,
0: it's incumbent on me to fix it, not God. This is why Scripture says, if if you're on your way to the communion table and you realize your brother has ought against you,
1: go fix it.
0: How would I need to bring it back? I feel the preach coming. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not here to preach this morning. Not here to preach this morning. Close your eyes with me for just a second. If if you're willing, if that makes you uncomfortable,
1: you don't need to. Is there someone in your life, part of your family, nuclear family, family of God, with whom you are currently out of alignment, divided from,
0: what would it require of you what would the Holy Spirit might want to empower you to do to bring restoration to that relationship?
1: Offering forgiveness? Acceptance? Repentance? And
0: usually when when someone starts asking us these questions, we start, it's just a reflex, we push back, don't take me there, Don't don't make me do it, it's their fault. But would you feel different about whatever conflict you're facing or hurt feelings you're carrying if you realize that it was keeping you from an anointing of the Holy Spirit that was meant to empower you? I'm not asking you to place yourself in a position with someone who is unsafe. I'm not asking you to be unwise. But I'm asking you to consider how you feel about the fact that the enemy of your soul might be trying to steal your birthright and compromise the work of God in you and the work of
1: God through you. You can look at me again. If the Lord brought a name to mind, we're going to deal with that in a few minutes. In a spirit of grace and of love and of safety.
0: Love covers a multitude of sins. Thank you, Jesus, because I've committed them. And I need that love to cover mine. And God looks at me and says, John, I've covered those. Now I need you to
1: cover those. Look back at
0: verse 9, excuse me, verse 8. They read from the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people understand each passage. That's so kind.
1: Have you ever read the Bible and just went, what?
0: If you haven't, you probably haven't read the Bible. I've been reading the Bible professionally for decades, and I read it and go, what? There was a grace upon Nehemiah, excuse me, upon Ezra, to say to people, this is what the Bible says, and come alongside and go, now this is what it means. This is a beautiful posture for us as believers to take toward an unbelieving community. The people who get a lot of press are the guys that stand up on a pedestal, get angry faces, point their fingers and says, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, which is true. It does. But the world is usually going, yeah, got it. But what does that mean? You and I have the privilege of helping people understand their place in the most beautiful story ever written. And this is what Nehemiah, this is what Ezra does. And this is what we get to do. He reads it. This is what It says, This is what it means, and this is what we should do. Yeah, this is what God's word says. They hadn't heard the the, the word of the Lord for, for decades. This is what it says, this is what it means, this is what we should probably do about it. The people were not prepared to be able to receive the word of the Lord and apply the word of the Lord. Do you know why? He was reading in Hebrew. Most of the people gathered spoke Aramaic. He was not only explaining, he was interpreting. And you and I need a good interpreter. Have you ever worked with a bad interpreter? It's not fun. I'm in Bulgaria, and I'm speaking in a Bulgarian church. I don't speak Bulgarian. And so Trichel, my translator, is translating for me. And I'm in this beautiful, big, big, stone building, and a and little bit intimidated. You, you kind of sit up on this spot, and then you, you, and the, it echoes, and, and, and I've got this word I think the Lord gave me, and so I start talking to people about like this, and I get about 10 minutes in, and there's a, there's a bunch of babushkas, a bunch of, a bunch of grandmas with their headscarves, and, and their, their arms crossed, and, and they start doing this. Not a lot, not a big head shake, but, but enough for me to... I'm like, all right, ladies, that's how we're going to play. I'm going to turn it up a notch. And so I start moving from teaching to maybe preaching a little bit, because thus saith the Lord, and you're going to hear it. And so now I'm starting to bring it, and they're still arms crossed, and they go from like 10 and 2 to maybe 9 and (laughs) 3. No other move. And now I'm looking at try like, is he saying what I'm saying? Because I know what I'm saying is true. So I'm like, we're taking this home. And I went full Southern on him, poor guy. I mean, he probably didn't know half the stuff. And I'm, my veins are popping out and I'm sweating and I'm Jesus this and Jesus that and Holy Ghost. And now they're just, I mean, they they probably all needed to go see a chiropractor when they were there, just shaking. And I'm so discouraged. Like, this is awful. And I, I you know, Lord, I, I gave my best and I, I prayed and I closed my Bible and I sat down and kind of hung my head and to add insult to injury, at the end of the service, I had to stand by the back door and shake everybody's hand and say, Slavina Boga, you know, God bless you. So I have to bless these people who have decimated my self-esteem. And we get in the car to go to lunch, and, and Tricho goes, well, that was pretty good. And I looked at him like, are you, are you kidding? What service were you in? I go, I go Tricho, they hated me. Like, the young people were okay, but the, but the grandmas, they couldn't stand it. And he, he kind of had a surprised look on his face. He goes, well, what are you talking about? I said they were shaking their head. It started just a little bit, but the harder I went, because I wanted to get through, the, the more they shook their heads. And he gets this smirk on his face. And he goes, oh, no, John, in Bulgaria, this means yes. This means no. Are you kidding me? Only place in the world. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, oh, yeah, when, when the Turks came in. They would kill Christians, and we didn't want to lie, so they would come to you and say, are you a Christian? If you said yes, they'd kill you. So we just decided this meant yes. Are you a Christian? Okay, you can go. Trichel, This would have been helpful information two hours ago. (laughs) There are things in culture that don't easily translate. So as you and I are seeking to position ourselves as interpreters to people who have not yet experienced the grace of God, We have to learn to speak the language of the temple and the language of the street. That's what Nehemiah did. I know the temple stuff really well, and I can communicate it in the language of the people. And you might ask, John, how do I do that? Well, you know how to talk to people on the street. We we see you do it in the grocery store every week. What do I tell them? Really simple. Talk about Jesus and tell your story. These are the two things that you're experts in. Nobody knows your story like you know your story. Well, how do I talk about Jesus and tell my story? This is what I was like before I met Jesus. This is how I met Jesus. And this is how I am after I met Jesus. Talk about Jesus and tell you. Listen, they can argue theology all they want with you if they disagree. But if you come to them in the spirit of grace and go, this is how I met, this is how I was, this is how I met him, and this is how I am, no one can disagree with that religious teachers I mean the most brilliant of the brilliant were trying to hammer on this guy who had an understanding of who Jesus was that he didn't and every time they came at him he's like I don't know here's what I know I was blind spit my eye now I can see (laughs) but he's a sinner I don't know all I know is I was blind he spit my eye now I can see he was a all I know I was blind spit my eye now I can see Talk about Jesus, tell your story, and don't spit in anybody's eye. (laughs) Here's the last thing I want to tell you this morning before we pray.
1: 8.10.
0: Nehemiah continued, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods. Sweet drinks, share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad for the joy of the Lord is our strength. Why would he need to say that? Why would he need to tell people to be happy? Because as they read the word of the Lord or it was read to them, they began to weep. Weeping and wailing as they heard what God's people were meant to be. And they looked inward and saw, I have fallen far from that mark. And they begin to focus on their failure and grieve for it. But as Nehemiah is watching the people respond to Ezra's teaching, Nehemiah's focus is not on the people's failure. Hear this. His focus is not on the people's failure, but on God's provision. And so he says to them, you need to change your perspective. You're so focused on your failure that you've lost sight of the very fact that God is present to lead you somewhere else. This This is a cause, he would say, for celebration. God is here. Yes, you are convicted. That's the Bible word. And by the way, conviction is the role of the Holy Spirit, not a person. That's a freebie. We simply share the love of God and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. But he tells people who are deeply sorrowful, throw a party because God has come near and you don't have to stay in that position, in that failure, in that brokenness any longer. There is a difference scriptures teaches us between godly sorrow and shame. This is the last thing the Lord brought to my attention that somebody needs to hear. Second Corinthians seven ten says, "Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation, and it leaves no regret." Hear that? Leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Godly sorrow recognizes failure, looks forward in anticipation of restoration and forgiveness. It leads us to repentance, which simply means
1: to turn and go the other way.
0: turn away from whatever sin has been highlighted and align ourselves with the will of God again. Shame is very different. Godly sorrow recognizes the presence of grace and it brings hope. Shame condemns. Shame says you failed because you're a failure. Grace says, let me show you a better way and then let me help you get there. Grace is God working in us to do what we can't do in our own strength. There is a big difference between shame and sorrow. Grace recognizes that you can't get there on your own, and rather than condemn you for it, it leads you to where you need to be.
1: Some of us have been
0: so focused on our shortcomings that we failed to see the greatness of our God. Some of us have been been so focused on our own shame that we've forgotten scripture says all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. Some of us have forgotten that Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save it. And when Jesus says, I didn't come to condemn the world world, insert your name there. And so Nehemiah says to people, listen, you need to celebrate your forgiveness, not wallow in your shame. I hear the Spirit of God inviting some of us out of a shame storm this morning. And I think as we pray, what the Lord wants to do is break what for some of us has been kind of a repetitive monologue, a cycle in our minds of accusation coming over and over and over again. And the Lord would say to you this morning, don't get stuck at sorrow. Let it
1: lead you to repentance and an experience
0: of the joy of the Lord. Tyler and Tammy are going to come, and they're just going to begin to minister over us musically for a moment. I, I told you as we began that I wasn't really excited about the message,
1: but I'm really excited about this moment. Because as we are
0: gathered together in a spirit of unity, there is an anointing from God that is prepared to fall in this room rest on every heart, heal every mind, strengthen every soul, break every chain. And a move of God doesn't have to be loud to be dynamic. And it doesn't have to be aggressive to be strong. So I'm gonna invite you one more time, if you would, just to bow your head, not not before me, but before the Lord. Holy Spirit, in these moments that remain, We call you a friend. We call you a comforter. We call you a coach. Our champion. Lord, Scripture says you come to lift our heads. And if there are any this morning, whether here or online, within the sound of my voice, who feel alone, who feel unseen, would you just whisper in their heart of hearts, I know your name. I know your name. I love you. I created you. You bring joy to my heart. And Lord, would you break the lie that says you are unloved or unlovely that says you are unwanted or discarded, that would leave us in our isolation. Bring healing there, holy God. Lord, for those of us who have found ourselves locked behind a wall of shame, that we don't feel we can step around or climb over, Nehemiah instructed the people not to stay in their shame, but to celebrate the goodness of our God who says to us, my mercies for you are new every morning and my faithfulness to you is great. Lord, would you help us assume a posture that celebrates your nearness, that celebrates not our record of failure, but the forgiveness that we have received. You say of our sins that you drop them in the sea of forgetfulness, never to remember them again. Bring healing, Lord, in this area. And finally, Jesus, you've you've commissioned us in your word, you say, with the ministry of reconciliation. That is the same way we have been reconciled to you. We're to be reconciled to one another and then reconcile the world to you. You teach that you bring unity, excuse me, that in unity, you bring an anointing of your Holy Spirit. So Lord, I invite you to search my heart. Show me where I am out of alignment with other people. And I hear you say, John, as as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. So, Lord, I offer my obedience and say, would you lead me to the places of ruptured relationship that they might be restored? Would you give me the grace, the strength, the courage to step into those places for the sake of you and the sake of your kingdom? Lord, would you discipline me to pray such a simple prayer in these moments of fractured relationship. It's so antithetical to how I normally think, but that I might pray, Lord, bless them and change me. Because, Lord, I know they're in need of blessing. I know I'm in need of change. So I invite you, Holy Spirit, to work in every marriage, every family, every workplace, and even within your church, that if anything is out of alignment, it would come into the alignment of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Scripture says that those who the Son have set free, they're really and truly free. You quoted it correctly, free indeed, I paraphrased. So if the Lord highlighted any place that he is encouraging you to grow or develop, Go with your head high, not your head down. Don't be discouraged, but encouraged because your loving Heavenly Father has wrapped his arms around you and said, let's do this together. You're never left to do it on your own. Stand to your feet with me. I want to speak a blessing over you because when the anointing oil was poured out on Aaron's head, when he received the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, God said, this is what I want you to say to my people. So hear God say to you, through his Holy Spirit. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Have a great week. Come if we can pray for you. Be blessed. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.